Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about Canada becoming the film Minority Report starring Tom Cruise with my friend Vienno. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. How, <laughs> How are you, Vienno? I'm tired. I'm so sleepy today. Um... That's about it, honestly. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm, you know, I have mixed emotions. Uh, for those who don't know, we're recording on uh, a national holiday that we will not name. Uh, but I, I participated in a, I guess, cancel Canada Day. There, look, it's out of the bag. You know, we canceled it. Uh, we had a cancel day, our cancel Canada Day uh, march uh, around the, the city that I, I participated in. And... Uh, you know, it's it's like weird mixed feelings. Like I love the solidarity; it's beautiful. It's just like always, like you know, these big group like protests in a way are always about shitty things. You know, <laughs> so it's like mixed emotions of feeling great that all these people showed up, but knowing that like it comes from the fact that we're committing an ongoing genocide in this country. So, yeah, they were reporting there was something like ten thousand uh, people, and it was. Uh, it was uh, quite nice to see, you know? I'm hoping that this is a trend uh, for this city because definitely, uh, you know, we had Black Lives Matter and then the people coming out for the, the family, the Muslim family that was murdered in town. And then uh, now this event. Like, I, I've been to many indigenous uh, actions in this city where, you know, sometimes you get 10 to 20 people showing up. And I, I've been to others where they're a bit bigger, you know? There was one where... Uh, Especially we, we did in solidarity with uh, Wet'suwet'en and there was like maybe a couple hundred of us. But this, this was big and it's good to see. And I hope, I hope that momentum lasts beyond the pandemic, you know? Yeah, that's like, I really hope so. But at the same time, like in the past year now, we've had three events, like protests or memorials or what have you that have had like two percent of the city show up type of thing like that's pretty that's big numbers like it's wild compared to what it used to be <laughs> yeah as someone who's uh been uh active in this city for a while this it's like amazing uh seeing this happening which is why it's like again it's like a it's it's mixed emotions. I'm I'm so happy to see these like this number uh, of people coming out. Uh, I just wish we could do that. Once 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 the world gets completely better, you know. <laughs> we can dream, right? Sorry, when? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what qualify? <laughs> Listen, when we reach our Marxist utopia, <laughs> and then we just march for the well, sake of We don't need marching. to come out anymore. <laughs> No, it, it would be a celebratory march, you know? It wouldn't be marching to act. Like, it would just be like, we're marching! Why? What do we want? Nothing! When do we want it now? You know? <laughs> what do we want? Everything. Who do we want it for? <laughs> Everyone. Hooray! <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> we, uh, this one's gonna be a short one as well. And, uh... 
as of this recording for us, we're, we're caught up on the recordings. So now I just have to get caught up on the editing. So you're probably going to get a bunch of shows all in a row somewhat. But uh, that's life. And uh, we'll be we'll be catching up soon. So thank you for your patience. But we're just going to now get into it. This is the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the Rebel from June 21st to June 25th. Ezra comments on a paper from Harvard. He suggests that the author of the paper must be left-wing because, according to Ezra, Harvard is a clearly left-wing institution. I'm going to show you a study on who's losing under the lockdowns and who's winning. It's a Harvard study, not exactly a group of wild-eyed right-wingers. You know, an Ivy League school full of rich people with a neoliberal economics department. It's totally left-wing. Ezra says the study shows that the lockdowns in America destroyed jobs, even though the data suggests there is a hesitancy to work due to the presence of a global pandemic, not because uh, there's lockdowns. Ezra then also blames open borders for the decline in jobs, claiming that because people don't want to work during a pandemic, immigrants are coming to scoop up the remaining low-wage jobs. And you know what's making all this worse? That is, if, if you're a low-income, blue-collar worker? Open borders. Under Biden, hundreds of thousands of low-skill, off-the-books workers are streaming in from Mexico. It's because Biden and Kamala Harris have just opened up the southern border, just stop building Trump's wall, stop enforcing the law. Here in Canada, we don't overwhelm our low-income workers with illegal migrants. I mean, Roxham Road is still open, but it's not hundreds of thousands through there. No, we invite in low-skill, low-income competitors legally. Seriously, record immigration numbers planned in the middle of the Great Depression. Even though he offers absolutely no evidence that this is happening, and if it was happening, maybe the issue is the low wages, not the immigration. Ezra and Joel Pollack discuss Biden's meeting with Putin. They begin by, uh, by saying that Trump was not friends with Putin because Trump is not a commie. Well, for those of you old enough to remember the Brady Bunch, you'll remember there was a refrain, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Well, during the Trump administration, it was Russia, Russia, Russia. Everything was proof that Russia helped steal the election in 2016 for Donald Trump. It was a cockamamie theory. There was no one more capitalist than Donald Trump. He's no commie. They argue that Biden elevated Putin just by meeting with him and then list a bunch of ways Trump was apparently better with Russia. Apparently, Trump was harsher. Trump never gave anything to Russia, where Biden gave everything just like Obama. No specifics are given. It's all pseudo-masculine posturing that somehow Trump was a big, strong businessman, while Biden is weak and effeminate. It reminds me of how much of a dealmaker and a negotiator Donald Trump was. I mean, I can't think of any tougher industry and place in the world than cutthroat New York State property development, whether it's dealing with, I don't know, mafia in the construction unions or crooked, uh, you know, state and city regulators, or just tough competitors, financial vagaries. There is no tougher business, and you've got to be extremely sharp. As the late Izzy Asper used to say, our Canadian nickel has a, has a little beaver on it. You know, you got to shave the beaver off a nickel. You've got to be so, you've got to watch every single penny. If you can survive a New York 
real estate, you can survive anywhere. Joe Biden has never been in a real negotiation like that against a real enemy in a zero-sum game. So he goes over there and he just gives things away. I don't think he's ever, I can't think of anything he's ever negotiated, any deal he's ever done, any person he's ever stared down. I just don't think he has that skill set. And and the people around him are people who gave it all away under the Obama administration to Iran, for example. I I just think this is the, we feel the lack of Trump more than ever in these foreign affairs matters. They do have to mention that the Mueller investigation was based on nothing, because that kind of ruins the entire narrative they are trying to paint here. Whatever you want to take away from the from the Mueller report, it definitely was not nothing. Pollock ends by saying, the United States has never really sought dominion over other countries. But instead of looking at China in that critical way and seeing, where can we make an impact so that our values line up with our foreign policy so that we can encourage freedom in China and so that we can defeat China in the race for global domination. I mean, China envisions a world that serves its own interests. It doesn't serve anyone else's interests. And already they're exercising their will over our freedom of speech here at home. They're stealing our intellectual property. They've cornered the market on rare earth minerals. They're changing the way we live. They have an effect over our lives, which we don't really want. We don't do that to other nations. I mean, the United States has never really sought dominion over other countries. But he should try telling that to Donald Rumsfeld's rotting corpse. Ezra complains about people scolding others for not wearing masks in public places. He plays a clip and then wonders if, in the before times, you ever would have seen people behave like this. For me, these videos are not too different from people having racist meltdowns in public that long predate COVID. But at least yelling at someone for not wearing a mask is over something more reasonable than, say, being a racist. It is also worth noting that Tucker Carlson recently told people to yell at others who are still wearing masks, and you can find plenty of videos online now of anti-mask people yelling at others for wearing masks. You can also find videos in Toronto of anti-vaccine people yelling at others for waiting in line to get their vaccines. But these are all people Ezra likes, so he doesn't talk about them or play clips. Andrew Lawton is releasing a new movie about gun rights in Canada. Ezra plays the trailer for the film, and at one point, one of the subjects of the film states, It really is my identity. It really is my culture. And it's every bit as legitimate as anyone else's culture. Good to know that the people who hate identity politics only approve of one identity gun. Pew pew pew! <laughs> and that is the week! For the main segment this week, we're going to talk about mainly legal stories, I guess. And uh, two of them are going to have to do with uh, Canada generally, but one of them is going to have to do with Rebel specifically. And so... We are going to start with that, but before I mention what that is, I do want to state right at the top about uh, just COVID generally, which is that when Joel Pollack was on the show this week, he said that... But, you know, the Trudeau example is interesting. I mean, Canada is in a very bad situation relative to the United States with regard to coronavirus. I guess there's like some information that's coming out now suggesting that per capita, the death rates in Canada might be a lot higher than we initially projected based on the numbers that are coming in 
And so it's quite likely that we're approaching something like America, but it's also the case that America is probably low num like lowballing their figures as well. That being said, I mean, America really did not have a good go of this virus <laughs> compared to Canada. Like, I don't, I don't, am I imagining that? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do think that America might have had a pretty bad time with it. Yeah, like, even official numbers, and they have been purposefully, like, undercounted as best they could in a lot of jurisdictions. 600,000 people dying in the space of a year is pretty bad. And they're still dying, right? Yeah, like, even with, like, our inflated numbers that, like, that one report recently came out regarding, like, we might have had, like, 50,000 or maybe more deaths? I'm I'm blanking on the number, but, like, proportionally that still, like, might just put us within range of, like, how bad the U.S. did type of thing. Like, how bad the U.S. did officially now, whereas, like, if they got their own numbers inflated by what has probably been a lot of, like, undercounting, I'm sure they would be pushing much, much higher numbers, which is horrifying to think about. Yeah, I mean, it's also just noting that, like, America was leading the world in, like, how badly their country was affected because of the the ineptitude of the the Trump administration, right? And, And it's, like, even in terms of, like, vaccines, like, Canada is, our vaccine uptake has been way higher than in America right now, which means that, like, America is going to have some lasting consequences of not having their their population as vaccinated as we are. You know, and it's not to say that you want to take, like, these bragging rights. It just, I guess it's, like, more of, like, the absurdity of Pollock just, like, stating that. You know? Like, it was like, what what delusional world do they live in such that they have to, like, deny such, like, obvious reality, you know? Maybe maybe he meant in regards to vaccine uptake because they're anti-vaxxers. Yeah, <laughs> so Canada is uh, in a bad state because we're actually getting vaccinated? Yeah, I mean, first doses, you know, we don't know what second dose uptake will be like yet, but... It's getting up there. I hope so. Mine's... My second dose is in like a week and a bit, so like I'll... I'm contributing to those numbers, you know? I am making Canada be in a bad state relative to america my second dose is in a week from when we're recording right now so i'm pretty pumped but that being said so then let's get into how how uh, rebel has dealt with the covid in canada which was their fight the fines initiative so to fill people in and what they've done we've already talked about this on the show but basically rebel had decided that they were going to uh, quasi encourage people to break covid restrictions I mean, like, it's kind of blurring a line to what degree they encourage them or not. But then when people broke the COVID restrictions, Ezra through and Rebel News had this Fight the Fines initiative where they weren't going to pay your fines, but they were going to at least pay for lawyers that would then fight whatever uh, COVID uh, restriction fines you got in court. So they were going to help you fight it. They have on their show, uh, they, they did like an hour-long show on this to... I guess, catch everyone up with how the project is going. 
and uh, you know how many people they've helped, how many cases they've won, stuff like this. And so the <laughs> this is where we're at on the show, and then he gets one of the experts he's hired to come fight these things on the show, and they chat about it. So the big number right up front, and the thing that they're bragging about, is that they've uh, they have eighteen hundred clients within the Fight the Fines initiative, which is a lot of people. And if anything, that's going to be a lot of people clogging up the court and, uh, you know, being annoying. That's that's a lot of people. That's a lot of lawyers to hire. Well, I mean, that's the thing. So they realize that this is a lot of people. And then they, they ask, of course, they need more money if they're going to take on more clients. And Ezra makes a, a note that, like, none of this money absolutely zero there's absolutely no money at all that's coming from rebel news (laughs) and he's like we're not going to ruin rebel news by uh you know helping people out right (laughs) that is (laughs) that's so good so um here's what i said to you and here's what i said at a staff meeting the other day i said my job as president of rebel is to make sure the company lives and everyone here we can make payroll and stuff so I will never go so far down this road that we jeopardize Rebel News. It would be irresponsible to do that. So he's like, so we need you to donate to us so that we can help these people, right? Now, of course. they've also, they've also got a, a, a charity organization helping them. And I can't tell to what extent this charity is like a separate entity or if it's somehow related to Ezra or Rebel News in some capacity. But this thing is called the Democracy Fund, and it is a CRA, so Canadian Revenue Agency, approved charity. So now anyone who donates will get a tax receipt for their donation to it as if it was a charity to help these people. Which seems shifty to me. Like, it seems shifty to be like, we're going to legally help you, uh, especially, I mean, it would be one thing if you were a charity offering legal help to people. But the extent to which Ezra is encouraging people to sort of break the law here, it seems then weird that you would get the government to uh, tax subsidize your charity to help them while they're encouraging people to break the law. You know what I mean? There's like a, a degree that that's weird. Also, just like on the note of like charities and like how a lot of reports have been coming out lately of how Muslim charities have been... And it's very funny that even the CRA phrased it this way, randomly selected for, like, increased scrutiny and increased investigation and often, like, being deregistered from the, like, CRA-approved charity list, basically just because they're Muslim. And then, like, this shit is just like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. Of course, you'll get your tax receipt from this. Like. Yep. Damn. No, it's it's very weird. I I would like to, uh, at some point in the future, maybe do a little bit more of a dig into the Democracy Fund and see what's up. Because I've seen some people tweet stuff out. I just haven't had the time to, like, vet it to know what they're saying is true. So we'll just leave it at, at that, that something seems a little, a little fishy here. Mm-hmm. So now I got a question for you. They have 1,800 clients. How many of them have they won? Like, how many cases have they won so far? I'm desperately hoping zero. They claim 100. 100 out of 1,800 is still, like, a low-ish number. Yeah. But 
what, what do you think those cases uh, were? Or I guess, like, how I should say this is, like, if you have, like, do you think these are, like, ticket cases or, like, cases where people, like, got arrested at protesting and all this other stuff that were a little bit more severe? I guess just ticketing? I don't know. I don't really know enough about how these fines work. I guess I'll just say it. They're all low-level tickets, okay? And not only that, they claim these as victories, but these are all tickets that were just thrown out. Now, I don't think we've had a full trial. We haven't had a trial, but our successes have been withdrawals. Either because there was, like, errors on the ticket, so, like, the police didn't fill it out appropriately, or the judge was just like, this is frivolous, and, like, threw it out. But they're claiming those as their victories. (laughs) Victory. That's a hundred W's on the board. Like... I keep telling people that they're not going to succeed, that all these things are going to fail. They've, they're they losing. I think some of the pastors have lost their charter challenges. The COVID jail uh, thing lost its charter challenge. They're going to keep trying to say and keep getting people to donate to this fucking fund, and they're not winning any of these cases. So uh, there you have it. Lastly, and here's here's a point of activism for all those listening. They do say... Also, I find that a number of clients sign our form, uh, sign up on, online uh, by filling out our form multiple times. And I understand why they do this. I'm sure they're stressed and they feel that they haven't heard from us quickly enough. But unfortunately, it creates uh, an administrative backlog on our end, which we need to clear. So if you fill out an application, we will have it. And there is no need to sign up multiple times because it just adds to the work on our side internet troll friends <laughs> go fill out some forms <laughs> go fill them out be <laughs> name yourself whatever you want and uh go have fun you know <laughs> Hell yeah. fill out some forms so now we're going to get into the two like the more uh larger scaled issues the first being uh, bill c10 So for those who don't know, this is the bill that's supposed to regulate things like uh, internet streaming platforms and try to make them more aligned with the broadcasting standards such that they will uh, play and pay for more Canadian content. This bill passed recently. Now, of course, that means it still has to go through the Senate and and other stuff like this, but it at least has passed in... uh, it's gone through all its readings in, in the uh, legislature, and now it's on to the Senate. And Andrew Lawton comes on to talk about the passing of the bill. And they, of course, argue that it's still going to go after content creators. Which, in fairness to them, so part of the issue there is the worry about whether the law is sufficiently clear enough such that it only targets entities like Netflix, but doesn't it, like target person who has a personal YouTube account and is posting videos. Right? Mm-hmm. They still say it's going to go after these uh, individual content creators on YouTube, although uh, a court ruled that that's not what the bill says. So we'll see how it plays out, though. Ezra then brags the, uh, about, I guess, like, so part of it is that he wants to have some sort of, like, braggadocious show that, like, he could defeat these bills somehow. And so he brags that he uh, defeated Section 13 of the Human Rights Code. I had some role, a small role, along with Mark Stein, in repealing 
Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act. You might recall that almost 20 years ago now, I mean, it's 15 years, um, at a little magazine I had called The Western Standard, we published the Danish cartoons of Mohammed. And that got me sucked into this whole human rights censorship business. I fought back, Mark Stein fought back. We tried to turn public opinion around. And because Stephen Harper had a majority government, wouldn't you know it, we actually managed to get the government to support a private member's bill to repeal Section 13. And just for those who don't know what that section is, it banned, it made it an offense to publish anything, quote, likely to expose a person to hatred or contempt. Section 13 basically claimed that uh, hate speech was a part of the, the human rights tribunal, sort of like uh, quasi-judicial system in Canada, which meant that you could take people to the human rights tribunal to try to get some sort of uh, restitution from people who are spreading hate speech online and stuff like this. Now, that doesn't mean that hate speech was no longer illegal in Canada. It just meant that it was no longer a human rights issue that would go through the human rights tribunal. It is now just a criminal code violation. So you would have to go through the courts to uh, fight it, basically. And so Ezra's bragging about uh, his work, uh, getting Section 13 removed from the human rights code. And he also mentions working with Mark Stein. Now, we mentioned Mark Stein uh, two episodes ago, where we were talking about Andrew Lawton also being an Islamophobe, and part of our evidence for Andrew Lawton being Islamophobe was that he praised the book by Mark Stein, and uh, praised the parts of that book specifically because it was talking about how Muslim immigration was going to somehow commit white genocide. (sighs) Now, <laughs> I will say that uh, Andrew then goes on to like approve of that book again in this uh, show. So I, I did. That's specifically why I want to mention it as well. Is yeah, Andrew still holds these views, and so Ezra and Andrew can sit here chatting about it, but they still approve of and promote a very Islamophobic, bigoted book. I just have to say, Ezra, you downplay your role, but you played a very pivotal role in the repeal of Section 13. You literally wrote the book on this, and and Shakedown I I still have in my library, and Mark Stein and and lots of others did tremendously good work here. And people forget how important that fight was. It it seems like a lifetime ago, and I would remind people, this was repealed in 2013. It took Stephen Harper being in power for seven years, seven years before this law was repealed. The prosecution of uh, Mark Stein for America alone took place during a conservative reign. And I know that was the BC Human Rights Tribunal that ended up going towards. But these things happen with a conservative government in power. So the importance of standing up and not letting this become a thing that needs to be repealed is so critical. Andrew does say, though, in response to the Section 13 thing, that the upcoming new hate crime bill is going to be way worse than uh, uh, <laughs> than Section 13 and like other bills, and specifically says it's going to be worse because uh, it's going to be worse than censorship because the government is forcing the companies to censor. <laughs> 
and why this bill, as we know it now, is going to be worse than C, uh, worse than Section 13, is because it will give the government basically the mandate of demanding social media companies take down content. So the only thing that I think is worse than government censorship is uh, government censorship with a state agent in big tech companies, which already are prone to censorship. Huh? <laughs> I guess I, I want to ask you, like, what what is the difference between, say, the government censoring you directly and then the government regulating a company to censor? Why would one be worse than the other? Because it interferes in the free market. But wouldn't the government just censoring also interfere with the free market? No, because uh, corporations are private property and are not under the jurisdiction of the state, as we know. There is no way in which private property and the state are related to one another. They don't arise simultaneously and self-reinforce. What are you talking about? I, I just wonder sometimes if they're even aware of the shit that comes out of their mouth. But some, like, I don't know. I don't know. They clearly don't think. They just say things. Yeah. Apparently True North, which is where Andrew Lawton works, was suspended on YouTube uh, because they platformed the... Uh, my pillow guy who's who's on goes on and on about the election corruption and how trump actually won so uh that's fun so they're suspended on youtube for a bit and andrew says in regards to their suspension and like all the the censorship bills are coming that he, he says that ezra literally wrote the book on this which was uh shakedown which is the book that we've covered where he talks about how he defeated section 13 and all this and i will say we, we've covered the first few chapters of that on the pad podcast, if you go into the, the back catalog, and uh, it is not a good book. He has an entire chapter where he claims there's, like, these evil, like, human rights lawyers that are just targeting these, like, helpless people from all the, like, things, cringy things they posted online, without even mentioning the fact that most of the people he talks about were all Nazis. Like, literal Nazis. So, you know, it's an honest book is what I'm saying, and it affected the Harper administration to remove a law that I thought was a pretty good law, so. Fun times in our country. Don't worry, Vienno. There is a good, a good thing, which is that Ezra claims 90% of the media supported him back then, but now it's the other way around, and now no one supports him, and that's because of the media bailout. Here's the difference. I remember that cartoon kerfuffle and when I was prosecuting, when Mark Stein was prosecuted, I remember my book. That was like you say, a dozen years ago plus. I had the support of more than 90% of what I now call the media party. I just did. I, I did more than 100 interviews about publishing those cartoons and I can count, there were exactly two instances of journalists, both who worked for the CBC, who weren't on my side. But even other CBC journalists were on my side. It was almost unanimous in the media that I should have the right to publish those things even if people didn't agree with them. Now today, it would be 90% the other way around. In fact, all the big newspapers in this country are on the newspaper bailout. They love this uh, regulation of big tech because... Trudeau has promised to ring out Facebook and ring out Google and throw a few crumbs at these old dying newspapers. So get fucked. I just love that. <laughs> I just love that it's a part of the media, media bailout. Like, really? That was the problem. Yeah, yeah. It, it's only been like since the second half of like 
2020 that anybody has turned against Ezra. It's not at all something that happened in 2017 uh, <laughs> or <laughs> anything else since. Um, nope, everyone just hates them because now they get money directly from Trudeau. Trudeau's just handing out that cash. <laughs> and now no one will be friends with Ezra. No relation to Charlottesville, um, yeah. whatever <laughs> town that is in, like, fucking Carolina or something. Virginia. <laughs> yeah. So as the week progressed, we now have a numbering system for the proposed uh, anti-hate speech, anti-online hate speech bill. And that is, it's now called Bill C-36. So now, rather than me fumbling over what to name this thing, we can just now say Bill C-36. So, thank you, Canadian government. And so what this bill does is it amends the criminal code in Canada to add certain uh, criminal offenses having to do with online hate speech. That's basically all it does. I will note right now that it's only gone through first reading, so it's past first reading. So a lot of the things that we say here are going to be somewhat provisional, because there still is going to be a second reading and then a third reading, before it then gets sent off again to the Senate. So in other words, there's no way that this is happening as a law, because the second that there's another election, it's just going to all be like thrown out, and then they'll be like, oh yeah, we'll do it this time, we swear. I think that it will happen, if if I'm being real. The only way that it won't happen, I think, is if the conservatives uh, get in power with a majority. But I do not foresee that happening, given the extremely low polling numbers of Aaron O'Toole right now. Yeah, I guess it's more just like, will they care enough to come back to it? assuming the liberals get back into power and like will it pass through the senate because the senate loves to just like sit on things and be like oops we forgot to get around to it yeah i mean that's the bigger issue because even bill c6 that passed recently which was the ban on conversion therapy it's going to sit idle in the senate for a while because the senate just went on break so it's still technically not illegal yet in canada but it's just uh now sitting there waiting for them to come back <sighs> Because our system is fun. <laughs> Quote unquote democracy. So Ezra's initial initial stab at a criticism of the bill is that if the government tells you to stop feeling hate, it will actually make it worse. Here, let's just go through it. Remember, the, the central purpose of this bill, as you can see from its title, is to ban hate. So obviously they have to define hate, and they say hatred means the emotion that involves detestation or vilification and that is stronger than dislike or disdain. I think it's really weird to pass criminal laws about emotions. I think it's an attempt to play God, to tell people how they're supposed to feel and supposed to think. You can't command someone to feel a certain way. You can't pass a law commanding love or banning hate, and the audacity to think that you can, that arrogance, I'm guessing that will actually create more hate. And my response to that is, will it? 
What does that fucking mean? I don't know. You te- you you put into law saying that you can't like throw a racist hate speech online, and then people will become. So it's like uh, what is it? It's like that. Uh, you know, people get they start building up the hate when they can't release it online, and it's like they become like a heated balloon that's about to burst. So like. They they can't they can't say the bigotry online and then they go out into public and they're just like racial slur you know and they <laughs> they can't contain it so uh, yeah see it'll make it worse <laughs> see and then they'll get their like face punched or whatever and everybody around them will see that and be like huh maybe I shouldn't say a racial slur and I can't do it online so I guess those just aren't words that I'll say anymore. Ezra, that he's so he's trying to tie this to Section Thirteen, which is the thing that again, as I described, he got it removed. So he's like, "This is like Section Thirteen all over again. They're trying to sneak it back, and I have to stop it at all costs," kind of thing. And he also brings up that somehow it allows for secret complaints, and I always find so this is like a common complaint that Ezra has about a lot of legal things, is he likes to bring up this specter of secret complaints, but there's a lot of things in our legal structure that allows people to say be witnesses without being like identified, and part of that is because like you don't want people to like necessarily completely expose themselves and become like targets of harassment and threats right especially if what we're dealing here is with people online that hold vile beliefs like nazis you know maybe people want to file complaints without exposing themselves to nazis and doxing themselves to nazis i think that this is just like a continuation of the covid camps thing like next He's going to be like, they're going to build racist camps and put all the racists in them. (laughs) There is like an element, I think, where they they refer to it as kind of like a Soviet thing, as if like the show trials were all like, it's all secrecy. And like, you know, if everything is secret, then you won't know the moving parts or like some weird shit like that, you know, then they're going to send you to the to the racist gulags. Yeah, no, like there's a reason they were show trials. They were pretty like public. Like that's... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't have needed show trials if they were secret. <laughs> yeah, but but the the information was secret, right? That's Yeah, it's it's very weird uh that angle. But he's he's made that complaint more than once about other things. So, I mean, him bringing it up here is not too surprising. Just kind of weird. Like this this if anything would be the one thing that you would want people to be secret, you know? The racist gulag is going to be the thing that builds the new whatever the fuck those fancy fast trains are in Canada. So we'll use racist this time to build the the train stations rather than, you know, slave labor. So then we get this fun time. So, so let me, uh, he says this, this is what he says on the show. He wants to describe the very first case that was tried under the, the human rights commission. And he claims the very first case they sent to jail, a 70-year-old man, for not removing racist messages from an answering machine. Actually, they, yeah, they, they have jailed people in the past. The very first um, case of hate speech decades ago under the Human Rights Commission, they sent someone to jail. The very first target. He was a 70-year-old man, some cranky guy, 
who wouldn't unplug his telephone answering machine. This was back before voicemail. This was like in the 90s. He had an old answering machine that had like an outgoing tape and an incoming tape. He put racist messages on his uh, telephone answering machine. He wouldn't delete them, so they threw him in jail. That's what they're going to do. So, my guess to you is, what do you think Ezra is leaving out of this description? <laughs> my guess is that he's actually underestimating the uh, sentencing that was given to this 70-year-old man. He was actually just taken out back and executed for it. Maybe maybe with the execution, I wish. But here's... <laughs> so, this is the name of the person. His name was John Ross Taylor, and he was... A literal Nazi. And what I mean by he was a literal Nazi, I mean Jonathan, John Ross Taylor was interned in the 40s in Canada for sympathizing with the actual Nazi party. Oh my god. He then formed the Western Guard with Paul Frum in the 1970s. And Paul Frum is someone who donated to Derek Sloan and is why Derek Sloan is no longer a part of the Conservative Party anymore. Taylor also had ties with the KKK and was friends with David Duke. He was taken to the Human Rights Trial in 1979 for his white power phone line, was ordered to remove it, refused, was found in contempt, he appealed, and eventually the Supreme Court ruled that the contempt proceeding was constitutional, and he went to jail in 1990, then died in 1994. Fuck. But it's like, his like this is the exact same thing he did in his book Shakedown, which is like hand wave about this 70-year-old man, this poor 70-year-old man who just happened to have a racist answering machine. I, like, I want to know why he, it's, why he does this. It's it's almost like he's aware that he's defending despicable neo-Nazis, but then realizes that he can't just openly do that. So he hand gestures and makes it about free speech so that he can be allowed to be as racist as all the Nazis he tries to distance himself from. I'm just like scrolling through his Wikipedia page quick because like, holy shit, this guy did every like possible fucking Nazi thing. He sure did. He was there through all of it. And he's dead, which is the best kind of Nazi. He was in prison from October 1981 to March 1982. That was his prison sentence for, like, super Nazism. Like, oh, fuck. But, like, imagine him using this case of a guy who had a white power phone line as the case for why the human rights trials are bad. You know what I mean? It's like, maybe this is yeah. exactly why we need the human rights tribunals. Because there's people out there who have white power phone lines. Maybe those people should not be allowed to have white power phone lines. This is like one of the most telling moments of Ezra's like support for white supremacists. Where it's like, oh yeah, no. Ezra will in fact side with literal Nazis over <laughs> people concerned about racism. Yeah, like, there's, a, like, one crumb. Like, at least he describes it as a racist messaging on an answering machine. But it's, like, just saying a racist message on an answering machine totally downplays how racist it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, anyone listening to this would just go, oh, that's probably just some, like, old man who said a racial slur. 
but it was a white power like promotional speech on a phone <laughs> yeah which is like a and, like, different level at this time his neo-nazi party was aligned with the literal kkk so it's like uh, fuck it's it's amazing Ezra, you dummy <laughs> they're not gonna spare you guy like i mean that that should be ridiculous enough but now we get to uh the uh the most magical moment <laughs> ezra claims that this new bill is in fact pre-crime so it's worse than it even was before harper repealed the law the penalties are much higher the complainant gets to keep his identity secret warman and yaniv will love that so it's as bad as everyone thought, but that's not really what this law is about. That's the distraction. That's what the media is focused on. This law has something much, much worse in it, much, much darker. It's the reason I say this is the worst law I have ever seen in a democracy ever. This law would give anyone the power to go to a provincial court and ask a judge to condemn any other Canadian and punish him in advance for a hate crime, an emotion crime he has not yet committed. Let me say that again. This bill lets you go to court and ask a judge to sentence someone for a crime you think he might commit, but he hasn't done it yet. It's straight out of Tom Cruise's movie, Minority Report. Nice. And <laughs> And his justification for this is that the bill says, if you fear that someone is in the position to promote certain hateful content in terms of hate speech online, you can get the judge to then form a kind of restraining order on the person. Much like in the case of, of if you're afraid that somebody is stalking you or is going to hurt you kind of thing, you can also get a restraining order on them in some capacity, right? That's all that line of the bill is. So it's not going to, like, arrest you. Like, it's you're not going to go to in, to jail if someone, like, takes you to court for this, right? It's just going to give the, the court leeway to make it possible that it to possibly prevent you from posting hateful material online. But it's pre-crime, apparently. And as I said, this is the first reading of the bill. So this part of it might not even end up in the final bill. Then, then we, you know talking about Ezra exposing himself. So he then says, Is that an anti-hate law? No, it isn't. It will not reduce hate. I think it will increase hate. It will certainly not convince anyone that their opinions are wrong, let alone that their emotions are wrong. But I'm pretty sure it will cause hurt feelings. It'll cause hard feelings. It'll cause feelings of grievance, which are the source of so much hate. But, you know, I think that's actually what Trudeau wants. That's part of the political strategy behind cancel culture and wokeness and extreme critical race theory and, and all this racial and gender identity these days. It's to pit us against each other perpetually, to divide us, to plant strife, not harmony. I actually think Canada works pretty well. I think it's a pretty harmonious place. I live in Toronto, a majority-minority city. I think there are problems in Toronto, but I, I really don't think there are systemic barriers for minorities to get ahead in business or politics or sports or entertainment or policing or in law. I just don't see it. 
which is like a common fucking like racist like trope is just like everything's fine we don't need to fix anything uh it's just gonna create racial division when it's like no you're the ones creating the racial division not this law yeah and then of course ezra is now adamant he's going to stop the bill just like he stopped section 13. trudeau's always loved tyrannies he he loved castro he loves china just like his dad pierre trudeau loved the soviet union this bill, C-36, it's not a law that any democracy could have. It criminalizes feelings. It admits that it does. It allows secret trials and secret informants. It's a censorship law, but more than any of that, this law allows Trudeau's attack dogs, including his paid race hustlers like the Canadian Anti-Hate Network and hucksters like Yaniv, or anyone with a grudge or a grievance to milk the system, to secretly seek vengeance against their enemies, and to team up with Trudeau to destroy what little political opposition remains in this country. This is the worst bill I've ever seen. And I'm 100% certain it's going to become law if we don't stop it. I'm sure it'll get the unanimous support of the NDP, the Bloc, and 90% of the media and the lawyers in this country. We'll do our best to stop it, though. In the weeks ahead, I'll outline my plans. I'd like you to start by signing our petition at stopc36.com. We end with a chat with Spencer Fernando. Ezra starts the chat by complaining that the bill is going to censor their voices. You know what? Uh, for eight years, Canada has not had this censorship provision of the Human Rights Act. It was taken out in the late years of Stephen Harper's administration in response to some abusive prosecutions, including against me. Why do you think the political motivation is there? Do you think there's a demand by Canadians to have this censorship back? Or do you think it's the Liberal Party's own agenda to silence voices like, I don't know, ours or maybe even yours? Now that's a bit telling, isn't it? Yeah, that's Ezra's like, oh no, this anti-racism bill. They're going to stop the racists from speaking. They're going to stop me from speaking. I, I mean, they're going to stop the racists from speaking. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's just like, it's so obvious what he's doing here. That it's like, I, you know, I, I can imagine that there's going to be some people in his audience who don't think of themselves as racist when, when they are. But it's like, how could, like, I can't imagine anyone listening to this and then going, oh, we're the racists. <laughs> Like, are they gonna have a moment like that where they're just like, oh, it's like that sketch, the sketch, or, or sketch, right? Where he's like, are we the baddies? Yeah. <laughs> Except he's never gonna have that moment. No, I'm just wondering if there's people in the audience. I mean, I don't think the people in the audience are gonna have that moment either, but like, they should. <laughs> I wish. He then says that the bill isn't popular, which actually is not true. Uh, a lot of Canadians, I think over a majority of Canadians, support this bill or a bill like it. That might change as, uh, you know, the the campaigns to, to stop it get going. Can't wait until it gets called CRT. Spencer then says that the Liberals are going to use the London attack to push it through. Well, I think there's a demand on the far left, certainly, for that. I don't think the you know, the average Canadian is, is saying they want this. But again, the Liberals, I think they see it as a politically opportune moment. You know, unfortunately, because of what happened in, uh, you know, the tragedy in London, Ontario, 
I think they see that as something they can twist pol- politically and use that as a supposed justification for bringing this in. And Ezra responds to this by saying, I read every Section 13 case that was ever prosecuted in Canada. There weren't that many. There was only a couple dozen. Mm-hmm. Um, this was before the law was repealed nine, eight years ago. And there were no cases of extremists like a, a radical Muslim preaching the jihad. We know that there are hundreds of Canadians who went to fight with ISIS. No one like that has ever been charged under the hate speech complaint. There are other radical groups in Canada um, who may be fighting some old war from some other place. No one like that has ever been charged. It was almost uniformly lower class, blue collar, uh, low education white guys who said something offensive about immigrants. In almost every case, that's what it was. To which Spencer follows up saying that... They asked people and they broke it down by race into uh, Caucasian, indigenous, and then visible minority. And they, uh, they asked people, do you think some races are superior to others, right? And the vast majority of people, of course, said they don't think so. But the highest proportion of people who said that they felt some races were superior happened to be uh, visible minorities, right? Hmm. And so, you know, as you as you say, the kind of people who were, you know, punished under Section uh, 13 is, you know, there's kind of this perception, politically correct perception, that somehow only white people can be racist, when, of course, that's absurd, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the most racist countries in the world right now, it's not uh, North America, it's not in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. So that's something interesting to note. And uh, so, but you're not going to see that applied, right? You know, someone, you know, a visible minority says something racist. Very rarely do you ever see that even become political news. It gets, you know, wished yeah. away. Or, or you know, most absurdly, you see people say, you know, if a brown person says something racist, it's, oh, that's uh, internalized white supremacy. Mm. Somehow it's, it's always white supremacy is blamed mm. for whatever anyone says, which ironically is quite racist itself because it denies agency to people of color as if they couldn't have any opinions if uh, you know a white supremacist didn't put it in their mind or something or manipulate them no it's called internalized racism isn't it like what huh i've never heard internalized white supremacy before and i'm like who's who's calling them that what yeah but there's like it, all it is is two white dudes sitting around going well how how come they, they get mad at us for being racists when like other people are racists and they, they don't get called racist yeah and you know i doubt that i very much doubt that they're talking about like you know anti-black racism within other like not white communities type of thing they're talking about like oh this person said that white people can't eat spicy food or something <laughs> like like, they're talking about, like, s- people making jokes about white people and be like, oh, but it's racism. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not a thing. No, it's, it's just so silly. Like, I almost have nothing yeah. to respond to this. It's just a bunch of white people complaining that, well, why do they get to be racist when we can't? Like, that's, that's the whole thing. Like, Spencer Fernando saying, like, oh, the liberals are going to use the attack that happened in London to push it through, and then Ezra immediately jumping to Islamic, quote-unquote, extremism, and being like, like, that's the instant connection that they make. It is just like, you're telling on yourself again. Like, we had a whole thing called a fucking war on terror that killed hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. People, You're right, people 
they don't get charged with a hate sheet hate speech they get put in fucking gitmo like yeah i mean that's yeah that's the other thing is the surveillance state that is like because of the label of islamic extremism what we've done to like innocent people but no uh, because we haven't ticketed <laughs> ticketed uh the islamic extremists in canada for their hate speech apparently that's that's the wrong that has to be righted and even then i bet it absolutely has happened there's no way that it hasn't just like fuck off you know i i, I haven't looked it up but you're right there's probably something about uh somebody handing out some sort of pa- pamphlet that uh is like reasonably anti-semitic but like connected with some sort of islamic extremist group or something like that that has like gone through or something like that i mean there's constant like oh the imams are talking about like anti-semitism or like they're being anti-semitic or they're being racist or they're being like you know blah 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 and like discriminatory in some manner and like it's a very constant talking point among islamophobes and we've had super islamophobic governments in power always so it's like huh no there's no way that like people haven't like been charged with this before it's just like such a stupid argument to make also the phrasing white blue collar guys is very annoying that sucks i was like what the fuck are you saying yeah white blue collar guys because there's no uh that and like let's be real most of the people charged with hate speech are like Ezra. A lot of, I mean, like even Paul Frum, like I wouldn't call Paul Frum a white, blue collar guy. I mean, he's definitely a white guy. But like, I don't know. I don't see Paul Frum like you know getting his shirt dirty working on a car. You know. <laughs> yeah, like it is professionals and like, you know, middle class people that are more proportionally like active in hate groups and stuff like that. No, he, he even earlier in the week, and I didn't mention it because he's mentioned this before, he claims that his audience is now skewing more uh, blue collar or more like working class, and especially with his Fight the Fines initiative. A year and a half ago, Rebel, your typical Rebel News viewer, typical Rebel News fan was probably different than today. I think we've very much become a helper of the working class. Helper. I mean, when I think of who's been punished in the lockdown, I think waiters, waitresses, mm-hmm. hairstylists, barbers, restaurateurs, like like really working mm-hmm. people. I'm not talking about fancy people. Well, like I said, we like people of all backgrounds, but who has been hurt? And I don't think that's the case, actually. But then there's also like a tell there where it's like, well, then who was his audience before? You know, <laughs> why is it only now becoming like working class? And I still don't think it is, but. It's just weird. It's like, I was only speaking to the managerial class before, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Now, sometimes I talk to plumbers. But they only talk to plumbers when it comes to defending them from racist accusations and denying COVID restrictions. Yeah, but also, like, that's the professional class still. Like... Well, in his mind. (laughs) Yeah. They say naughty words at protests, so they're clearly blue-collar. They wear overalls sometimes. I mean, Chris Sky wore a, a wife beater shirt, so therefore, <laughs> they're working class. God, I bet you that's like what it is. There's like it's like a symbol. It's like a kind of uh, prejudice, you know. He's going based on how they dress and how they look, 
and not about like whether they actually are working class or that guy wears a canadian tuxedo (laughs) he's got a that's as blue collar as it gets So then Ezra gets mad because there's a, a there is an exclusion in the bill, and it's an interesting exclusion because it does say that what is excluded from being like hateful speech is speech that is hurtful or offensive, and I think the reason they put it in there is for the common complaint of like, you know, me insulting you is not necessarily hate speech, right? And so they want to kind of like curve off some exceptions of being hurtful or offensive without going all the way to, say, talks about denying genocide and stuff like this, which would be what is described as hateful content under the criminal code. But Ezra reads this exclusion and then says that, you know, I mean, emotions are a naturally occurring thing. I mean, uh, you can't just ban a feeling and hate and love are feelings. Let me just read one last thing, and I appreciate you staying so long, but let me just throw this at you. (laughs) They try and define hate but also not too much hate. Here, let me read to you. So they say that hatred means the emotion. So they're talking about an emotion. They're just admitting they're, they're regulating emotions. Hatred means the emotion that involves detestation or vilification and that is stronger than dislike or disdain. And then they say, for greater certainty, the communication of a statement does not incite or promote hatred for the purposes of this section, solely because it discredits, humiliates, hurts, or offends. Hang on. So I thought you just said it was more than dislike or disdain. Now you're saying if it humiliates and hurts someone, that's not necessarily hate. This is the dumbest word game I've ever seen. This is not real law. Like, I know what an assault is. I know what a murder is. I know what a robbery is. Those are pretty, you know, did he steal... Uh, the money from the bank or not. There's not wiggle room there. This is nothing but word games and political wiggle room. This is the criminalization of, this is turning cancel culture into a crime. This is legislating cancel culture with all its stupid vagueness. What do you think? And I would have been like, I, I don't know, like is assault crystal clear in every case? Like, there's going to be cases where, like, is is it self-defense? Was it self-defense? Was it just about self-defense? Did you assault them for no reason? Was it, like, you know, there's many gradations of assault such that you have many angles in the law and many, like, court cases that set precedent. You know what I mean? It's almost like they always run up against the fact that the law is never going to be, like, 100% perfectly written in stone. It's always going to have, like, nuance and exception because... Every single incidence of, of a thing is not going to be written in the law perfectly. Nope. The law predict the law <laughs> pre-crime. They, they know the law knows <laughs> it has predicted. There is a whole branch of the judiciary <laughs> whose job it is to write out the pre-crimes <laughs> into the law. The other thread throughout this whole thing, which again appeals to his like just legal ignorance, is his whole like notion that legislating emotion is bad. But the thing is like it's called hate speech, but it's not like it's like like legislating against people having the emotion hate. <laughs> 
you know, it's, it's legislating against a specific kind of content, which it describes in the bill, such as like denying the Holocaust. That would go under like hate, hateful speech. But like, it's not regulating the emotion of hatred. Yeah. And even like the, the thing about like, you're afraid that somebody might uh, be posting hateful content. And so there's that provision about like fear and like he gets caught up on fear because it's another emotion, but it's not regulating fear. It's just like, it's describing a circumstance where like someone is concerned that someone will be posting this kind of material and they'll have to have some good reason that they then will have to argue in a court. It's not like it's like, well, you're afraid, so I guess we'll just have to prevent this person from living their life. You know, like, that's not how our legal system works. Or at least it shouldn't work like that. We are recording this on that hated day between... June 30th and July 2nd. And something pretty fucked up happened yesterday uh, where the town of Lytton, British Columbia, and its surrounding environment, which is predominantly um, First Nations land specifically, and I'm sorry I'm going to butcher this, but I've never heard it pronounced out loud before, uh, the Nlakapamuks First Nation, Lytton, British Columbia, was affected by the heat wave that happened, and it is the town that broke Canadian hot temperature records for three days in a row. And then on the third day, it caught fire, and it, the town itself, and the surrounding area are gone. Like, Lytton, BC no longer exists. Because it burnt to the ground. Yeah, I saw reports saying it was 90%. 90% of the city was gone. Which, I mean, is still pretty much the whole city, but yeah. Well, and fire season's not done, you know? So, Lytton, BC, and the surrounding area are um, in pretty dire straits. We don't, so far as I know, we don't know that everybody made it out alive because the fire spread in the space of like an hour. But there is a GoFundMe from Lighten First Nation Community Emergency Support uh, to raise money for Lighten First Nation and uh, just the community in general to help them rebuild and also, you know, purchase some of the necessities of life that they have now lost because people weren't able to really grab much of anything with how quickly the fire spread. Yeah, so if you have some money, I would greatly encourage sending it their way. We'll post the GoFundMe link in the um, episode description. But yeah, this... Uh, also, like, little fun fact about the area and the First Nations specifically was um, one of the nations fighting against the Trans Mountain Pipeline because... That pipeline is planned to go through their territory, which really ties into, you know, Canada's existence as a petrostate violating First Nations sovereignty in order to make more events like this happen. Um, 
so yeah, donate to them and also fuck Trans Mountain Pipeline. Yeah, and this is going to be the new normal too. It's uh, it's going to be a tough few years, a few being a lot of years. But uh, yeah, I guess anything anything helps, you know. I think that the temperature was it was like forty nine point five degrees or something like that. Forty nine point five degrees Celsius, and uh, to put that in context, um, that's I think more than one whole degree maybe even like two degrees hotter than the hottest temperature ever recorded in las vegas which is fucking insane like yeah also lighten is the only um one of the only areas in the country where the two major rail lines um canadian pacific and i think canadian national railways line up very close to one another and um they constantly have issues with fires in the region because the train tracks um, make sparks as the trains go by and because there's both train yard, train rails going um, so close to the community, it's kind of like doubled the like fire impact and trains weren't at all slowed down in terms of like number or like stopped during this massive heat wave when like we knew that fire season was starting so so far as i know the cause of the fire has not yet been determined but you know the that sure doesn't help for the article this week i'm gonna recommend reading uh social media is not self-expression by Rob Horning, um, and published by the New Inquiry, which is, like, top-tier magazine. Like, every one of their articles is like, oh, fuck, it's so good. But this article was written in 2014, and it is so, like, terrifyingly prescient for the world that we live in today. Um, And just, like, talking about the commodification of, like, the self-commodification of, like, people's daily existence through social media and how, like, that is shaped by the algorithm and, like, how that interacts with, like, how people shape themselves and then how they let social media shape them. Just really, like, an excellent read and really, like, mind-blowing that it was written seven years ago at this point because of both, like, how much has changed, but also how much things have stayed the same, even as social media has kind of, like, shifted and become more all-encompassing. This article kind of, like, foresees that, at the very least, and it's just, like, a really, really interesting read. And speaking of self-commodification on the internet... (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Good transition. (laughs) If you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up, and we will be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find all the links on our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striadam.bandcamp.com or head in a box on Twitter. Facebook, sorry, not Twitter. Thank you for listening. And people who identify as gun people.
you canceled. Boo. What are you are you saying? We boo love to- the Second Amendment. No. <laughs> I'm a gun. Pew pew. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields?